would you open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, and we'll begin reading at verse 17 and read down to the end of the chapter. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of one hundred shall be thought accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Well, I have to say that uh, I partly chose this verse because of verse 20. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. These are tremendous promises related to the new heaven and the new earth. Now, the question comes... Up, of course, some of these things sound like they're not uh, as uh, complete or as wonderful as we think the new heavens and new earth should be. Well, I think that's because you're reading them too literally. We have to look at what the overall thrust of what is being presented there. And the idea is that God's going to take away all those things that bring sorrow and sadness and make a situation where there will be no evil or harm to his people. Isaiah was a prophet in the in the southern kingdom, Judah, 
after the northern kingdom had already gone under because of its sin. It had been destroyed by the Assyrians. Just a rough date for Isaiah is uh, 700 B.C. And he was warning those people in the southern kingdom that sin would bring judgment just the same way it brought judgment on the northern kingdom and bring judgment on the southern kingdom uh, unless they turned to God. But he also had words of comfort and hope for those who were uh, desiring to follow God. Wonderful words of hope for those who would be faithful to God. And some of those words, of course, are some of the most wonderful ones in the whole Old Testament related to the coming of the Messiah, but some of them even went beyond that, and that is the section we're looking at tonight here uh, related to the new heavens and new earth. Now, uh, I'm not going to go verse by verse through this section. Uh, Rather, I just want to put it in the big, broad context of how we should understand um, God's revelation and what God's doing. And to do that, uh, I want to put up a chart. Uh, It's a very simple chart. There are uh, various ways to divide up the times that are spoken of in the Bible. Uh, You can do it by dispensations. That's where the dispensationalists get their name. Uh, You can do it by Uh, covenants. Uh, You can do it really by uh, various great leaders that God sent at different times. So there's all kinds of ways uh, to divide up the Bible to help us understand it. But I think the simplest and most basic one is the one I'm going to present here tonight. And that is that the Bible speaks of two ages. Okay, so that's what's on my chart. Give me a chance to set it up. Okay. So, basically what I've tried to do here is, is just put in a diagram how I think we should view and how I think the Bible presents uh, the most basic way to understand the times, the whole time frame of history. You have, of course, you have eternity uh, before there was a creation, before the foundation of the world, and you have creation, the fall, and then you have what is called this age. That's where, that's where Isaiah was writing. That's where we live. And that's where most of history takes place. But then you have, after this age, you have the age to come, which is when there's a new creation. Start here with this creation. It started out righteous, soon fell because of man's sin. Then from that time on, you have what's called this age. And in this age is when the Messiah comes. But then there's a time when Christ will come again called the day of the Lord and that will usher in the age to come the new creation which is what 
although Isaiah was writing in this age, at this part we're reading here, he was writing about the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth. So that's, that's pretty simple, right? This age, the age to come. This age began at the fall because it's called this present evil age. So that this age is the present evil age, again at the fall, and goes to the time when Christ comes again, the day of the Lord. Uh, the end of the age. Yeah, I got up there too. This age has an end. The Bible talks about the end of the age. And so then there's the age to come, which is the new creation, the new heavens, and new earth. Now let me just show you that this breakdown is actually biblical. A uh, good place to begin is right in Ephesians, the section that we're looking at in our small groups, although we haven't dealt specifically with this verse yet. In Ephesians chapter 1, talking about Christ being um, in the heavenly places, Christ uh, raised him from the dead, verse 20, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So here's this age and the one to come. Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I guess uh, to get a little of the context here, verse 29, Mark 10, 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that shall receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, because this is still this present evil age, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So there's this age and the age to come. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty two. Jesus says, Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So, however you take that verse related to what he's talking about here, speaking against the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, the point we're trying to draw out this evening is that there's this age and the age to come. And then... One more that deals specifically with this, Luke chapter 20. Luke 
beginning with verse 34. And uh, we'll read through 36 here. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die anymore, for they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So you have this age where there's marriage and people being given in marriage. You have the age to come where they're not given in marriage. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Um, so, uh, the point is, is that Christ and the New Testament writers recognized a, a big division. This age and the age to come. Um, just let me mention a couple other verses. We're told that Satan is the god of this age. We're, uh, we're told, I already mentioned this one in Galatians, that this age is called this present evil age. So this whole time period from here to when Christ comes again is an evil age, we're told. Uh, so here was Isaiah speaking in this age about an age to come. And why was he doing that? Because they were in the midst of a bunch of evil and difficult times, and it's helpful in this age to think about the age to come. Because things that happen in this age can beat you down and discourage you and make it so that you... Don't see things as clear as you should. And it's good to be reminded and to think on the age to come when things are not going to be like this. Uh, so let's turn back to uh, Isaiah 65. There's a sense in which you might call this age, kind of the middle time between when God made a good creation and it fell, it turned from him, and God's going to recreate creation and make it even better than it was when it was good. So we're kind of in the middle time between one good time and an even better time. But this, this middle time is a long time, and it seems very long to us. Uh, it won't once we get to the, the new creation, but now it does. Anyway, uh, basically everybody from the time of Adam's sin until when Christ comes again lives in that middle time, what we call, what the Bible calls this age, this present evil age. So we live in God's middle time. Uh, what happens in that time? Well, difficult things happen in that time. 
in that time we're told here in this section by way of contrast. I have to think about here what we've read. Um, he says, Isaiah says, that uh, there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. What's, what's this age like? Well, there's weeping and the sound of crying. There won't be that in the new age, but there is in this. And in this age, infants die and people don't live full lives. Many labor in vain. It talks about how they won't labor in vain. Well, why is that? Because in this life, many do labor in vain. One man builds a house. Somebody else lives in it. One man plants, and another man unjustly eats the produce. So he's saying that he's, he's encouraging these people, yes, this, this is happening now because you live in this present evil age, but it's not going to be like that for, God, for my people, for the ones who put their trust in me and are part of this new creation. Uh, it won't be like that. So take courage and think on these things. Think of what God has planned for you. The first creation was made very good, and its highest glory was man and woman being made in the image of God. But Adam sinned and plunged the human race and the world into pain and sorrow and moral decay. But God, in his wisdom, even before, even before this creation, clear back here in eternity, uh, determined to make a new creation after man had messed this one up. <clears throat> Even out of the ruins of that old creation, he'd make a new creation. He did this, of course, by sending his son, and he sent his son into this present evil age. That was the only way any of us could get to that age to come was by God sending his son into this present evil age. Into this fallen world to make it possible for there to be a far greater creation than the one that Adam had corrupted. Through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, God has assured us that there will be a new creation and he's initiated the establishment of that new creation here and now. Right in this age, there are people who have tasted of the age to come. Who's that? It's you and I, Christians. If you're a Christian, you've tasted of the age to come because you've already become part of what God is going to have for uh, his whole creation. He's made you new. He's made, at least in your heart, down in your, in your spirit, he's made you a new creation. Mm -hmm. 
So he's initiated the establishment of that new creation right now, here and now. Now, apart from Christ, this whole age doesn't even make sense. You can't make sense of history. You can't make sense of your life. You don't even know who you are apart from Christ. But through Him we can understand something of who we are and something of what God is doing with His universe. He's in the process of making all things new. But... Again, we're still in this age. We're in this middle time. And we have to still deal daily with a fallen world system and a deceitful devil who has the power of death and our own sinful flesh. Those are daily, uh, moment-by-moment realities that we have to deal with. And even the church, the church of God, is not now what it shall be. As one pastor put it, the power of the church is not a parade of flawless people but of a flawless Christ who embraces us in our flaws. The church is not made up of the whole people, rather of the broken people who find wholeness in a Christ who was broken for them. I thought that was really good. The church is not made up of the whole people. You know, people that's got it all together there aren't anybody like that some people think they are and they don't that just shows how uh, unwhole they are but the church is not made up of the whole people rather of the broken people who find wholeness in a Christ who was broken for them so Christ came into this present evil age so that we might live forever with him in the age to come. Again, something of that age has come to us already through the work of the Holy Spirit. What Christ has done, dying for us and then sending the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Something of that has come. God's new creation has begun already. We're partakers of the divine nature. Peter says, we've tasted of the powers of the age to come, come, but the battle goes on, and the fact is, we still stumble in many ways. We make mistakes. We do dumb things. We try and fail. We get discouraged. Sometimes we have to leave some things unfinished that we intended to finish. Sometimes we have to change our minds. All of which is to say we're not God and we're not perfect. But 
the promise of the new age is that we will be perfect. He now is in the process of sanctifying us and making us like Christ. That's what he died. That's why Christ died. He died so that in that new age, he might have a perfect bride, one who's faultless, spotless, blameless. And we're looking forward in this age to what God has for us in that age. Well, let's, let me just read it to you here. Now, I will say that if, if I had uh, the... If I wrote this poem, I would have wrote a few lines a little different, or a few words a little different, but I still think it's, it's worth uh, having and, and um, considering. Between the acceleration of beginning... And the satisfaction of concluding is the middle time of enduring, changing, trying, despairing, continuing, becoming. Jesus Christ was the man of God's middle time between creation and accomplishment. Through him God said of creation without mistake and of accomplishment without doubt. And we, in our middle times of wondering, waiting, hurrying, hesitating, regretting, revising, we who have begun many things and have seen but few completed, we who are becoming more and less through the evidence of God's middle time have a stabilizing hint there's where I'd change a word. I don't think, I think God's given us more than a hint. I mean, have a stabilizing, sure demonstration or something like that. <laughs> that we are not mistakes. That we are irreplaceable. That our being is of interest and our doing is of purpose. That our being and our doing are surrounded by amen. Jesus Christ is the completer of unfin unfinished people with unfinished work in unfinished times. May he keep us from sinking, ceasing, wasting, solidifying, that we may be for him experimenters, enablers, encouragers, and associates in accomplishment. He's brought us into, he's actually brought us into the plan, his plan, and we can be, I think that's, uh, I think that's a, quite a thought. Associates in accomplishment. We're ambassadors for Christ, so we are associates in accomplishment. Um, so the thought here is that this one who is the Alpha and the Omega is also the one who came down into this age, into this middle time, to rescue and redeem 
and make it so that there can be a new creation where righteousness dwells. And that's the only thing that will dwell there, is righteousness. I hope you'll take that poem home and just uh, consider it, because I think it's, it's a good reminder that uh, although we although we make mistakes, God never does. And uh, he is in the process of making us into what he intended all along. And that is a bride, perfect bride. And uh, it's just good to get our eyes on the big picture, which is all I've tried to do tonight. I haven't, you know, we didn't really deal with that scripture in Isaiah. It's just trying to put it in the really big, broad context of how we should view everything. Uh, And that's, that is a, at least one way, I mean, it's not the only way, but it's one way, and it's certainly a scriptural way to view uh, what's revealed to us in the scriptures, how to, how to uh, understand the overall picture.